Welcome to Last in Line Podcast, where we are highlighting, showcasing, and spotlighting great leaders of faith who have overcome adversity, cultivated resilience, and served others in a significant capacity. So settle in and be encouraged by this episode of Last in Line Podcast. I'd like to welcome today Jeremy Stalnicker to Last in Line Podcast. Jeremy's the executive director and co-founder of the Mighty Oaks Foundation. He and Chad Robichaux founded this organization uh, a while back for veterans uh, when they come home and some of the uh, challenges they deal with in transition. They wanted to create a environment for them to not only cope and deal and treat some of the uh, unseen wounds of war and combat uh, that that many of our service members suffer from, but also to grow in their walk with Christ and spiritually becoming stronger. And so they wanted to create this environment, this course, this program, this platform, and they've done an amazing job. Uh, Jeremy uh, grew up in San Jacinto, California. Uh, he grew up wanting to be a United States Marine, and he was able to actually make that dream come true in 1999. Uh, he follow, uh, following his, his course, uh, infantry officer course in Quantico, Virginia, he was assigned to the 1st Battalion, 5th Marines, 1st Marine Division as an inf infantry platoon commander, um, serving first as the rifle platoon commander in a helicopter company and then the platoon commander of the uh, counter-mechanized platoon uh, Jeremy learned valuable leadership and communication skills that he continues to use today. In January of 2003, 5th Marines, as part of the 1st Marine Division, deployed to Kuwait in support of what would become Operation Iraqi Freedom. Um, as the war began, 1st Battalion uh, would be the infantry battalion used to breach the berm separating Kuwait and Iraq uh, and would secure the first major objective of the war which is a pretty cool milestone. So Jeremy, after leaving the Marines, uh, became a pastor and was in full-time ministry and uh, now currently serving as the executive director of Mighty Oaks Foundation. Talk a lot about his time in uh, the Marine Corps. We talk a lot about transition, some of the struggles he had in full-time ministry, uh, vocational ministry he thought was where his calling was, but then uh, transitioned into this, where he could kind of do the best of both worlds. He could parlay his experience and knowledge of military service with his pastoral skills. And it all sort of made a perfect uh, recipe for what he does now. So we are excited to have him. We've had his uh, co-founder, Chad Robichaux, on before. And it's a pleasure and an honor to have Jeremy Stalnicker on Last in Line podcast. Jeremy Stalnecker, welcome to Last in Line Podcast. Thanks, man. It's great to be with you. It's really good to finally meet. Um, I had Chad Robichaux on uh, a few months back, yeah. and I know you guys co-founded Mighty Oaks Foundation together, uh, and I know you served in the Marine Corps. My dad was a Marine uh, captain in Vietnam, um, and oh, so yeah. I have, I don't know if it's just a kind of a special place in my heart for the Marines, and I never yeah. served. He he didn't really give me that option. He came out and he said, these right. are the two things you will never do. You'll never get into yeah, education. Yeah. You'll never get into the military because he was a teacher too. So yeah, I got that line in the sand early <laughs> in life, but uh, uh, no, welcome to the podcast. This is uh, all about servant leadership. I know you're a, a man of faith and you've been in full-time mm -hmm. ministry before. Um, I, before we get into your background though, I do this with everybody. So don't feel picked on. I do kind sure. of a, virtual coffee house conversation and i want you to finish these sentences for me this will kind of give the audience a little bit of a, a groundwork a foundation of of kind of knowing and seeing behind the curtain here with you so sure. let's roll um as yeah. a man as a man i could be more intentional in the area of just one you always pick one <laughs> been a lot of life life. Right? Life. Yeah, yeah, life 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 generally um I could be more intentional in my relationship with God. I could be more intentional in my relationship with my wife, with my kids, um, just in service generally. So 
I think intention, I know you said one answer or one word, but intention is, is important, but to say we've ever arrived, I think is, is dangerous. So, um, yeah. yeah, yeah, I just need to be more intentional. I need to wake up every day and recommit to that. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I agree. I think most guys that are self-starters that, you know, kind of the hard charger type a alpha guys typically are intentional in most areas. Um, yeah. I get a lot of answers to that, but yeah, we could be more intentional. I don't think we'll ever be the most intentional person on the planet uh, because it's a, it's a moving goalpost. Uh, but yeah. yeah, I think in my case, it's just more of a student in the word, you know, I read yeah, the Bible, good. but I think more of a student would be where I study it. Um, did you, have you gone mm -hmm. through kind of peaks and valleys of studying the word or have you yeah. maintained a, a yeah, for sure. It's a, so that's what, you know, when you're talking about that, it made me think of, you know, what could I be more intentional about? It depends on the day and the stage of life too, right? I mean, there are times when I'm so deep studying the Bible and uh, I can't get enough and I love it. And then there are other times when I feel like I'm going through the motions with this and I'm just doing it because I've been studying the Bible for 45 years and this is what I'm supposed to do. So, yeah, I think that intention, what can I be more intentional about today um it changes and we need to be aware of that but yeah, yeah more intentional in my study more intentional and just just learning and growing generally i think it's easy particularly when you hit middle age and some of life starts to balance out a little bit to just say i'm okay this is fine we're doing all right but you need to be intentional about continuing yeah. to press forward yeah for sure um Let's try another one here. How about this? Three keys yeah. to understanding spiritual warfare. Oh, man. Three keys to understanding spiritual warfare. Or engaging. Understanding or engaging. Whatever you want to, anything around that. But three keys to to mastering the spiritual warfare game, if that's even a thing. Yeah, I've been actually spending some time studying on that. And um, I put a message together yesterday on on fighting the battle in our minds, which is a spiritual warfare. And the three things I would say are, number one, understand your purpose as given to us by God. If you don't understand your purpose, you're going to lose. Mm. Um, number two, be in the word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. We can't know what God wants us to do if we're not in his word. And mm. then spending time in prayer. And it sounds it sounds silly, but um, you can't move forward if you're not communicating with God, if you're not allowing him to align your will to his will through prayer. So it's understanding your purpose. This is why I was placed on this earth. And I would submit that's to worship God, to live for God, to pour out my life, to point others to God. I need to be in the word to know how to do that. I need to be in prayer so that my will is constantly being aligned to his. And if I added a fourth, it would be to have the right people in my life. Yeah. You're not going to win that spiritual battle, whether it's a battle of the mind, a battle of the heart, you know, whatever it is, you're not going to win that alone. Uh, you just can't. You weren't meant to. Yeah. Perfect answer. Uh, I just wrote a, a resource that I'm about to get out to folks. I'm going to try to send you guys, I don't know how many copies, but try to get it in some hands of the, of the, the service members that you serve. Um, man, that would have made a really good message. If you'd have had a fourth P you had three P's in there. <laughs> Be a standard it. pastor message. Yeah, right. Yeah. I always uh, have to fight alliteration because it is standard. It's just how I think. But. That's how I think too. But yeah, the resource that I created, it was it's just a it's a real small 120 page or so guidebook kind of strategic tactical plan and it and it actually does have kind of a military theme to it even though I wasn't mm -hmm. a military and for someone that served, should I feel should I feel bad about having military themes around stuff I create when I didn't serve. Like I just, I just really admire that population and that group of people. And so I put it together with that flavor. Yeah. You should only feel bad if you pretend like you learned this while you were in the military, knowing that you didn't <laughs> serve. I mean, that's, that's where you should feel bad, right? There's no, no risk of, of that. Not. Yeah. Yeah, of course not. I use football analogies sometimes. I never played football. I mean, I talk about a lot of things I never did, but the analogies work. So yeah, yeah good. Sure. All right. Well, I feel better. I, I won't, I won't scrap that project. Um, <laughs> But no, it's about spiritual warfare. And so I'm glad you said that. And and a lot of those things, when you said, when you said those four keys and you're saying, you know, I know it sounds kind of straightforward. I'd say as I'm writing some of this stuff, I'm like, man, this sure doesn't, does this sound trite? You know, does it sound just kind of like yeah, a canned right, right. 
prayer word, you know, fellowship, that kind. But it really is, man. Those are the foundational. We can't get isolated and we can't get uh, vanilla when it comes to our learning track of the word and getting in prayer and getting in communion with him. So well done. Good answer. All right. How about this? I know you have have kids. I know your dad and, and I don't know if you're an empty nester yet. I don't think you are. Are you? No, I'm like half, like I'm like a half empty nester. My two oldest kids are out. My two youngest kids are still at the house. I'm kind of the same. Yeah. I'm the same way. Okay. Uh, what do you got boys, girls? I know you have boys. Any girls? Yeah, I've got, uh, so my daughter, my oldest is my 23 year old daughter. Then I have a 22 year old son, then a 15 year old daughter and a 13 year old son. So girl boy, girl boy. Yeah. Very good. My last one was yeah. a daughter, three boys and a, yeah. and a girl. So, okay. Nice. How about this? Nice. And this could be family. This could be career. This could be spiritually. I don't know. You decide. I look forward to the day when. Hmm. Well, I mean, with my kids, and this is, I talk a lot about this when they are adults and they're out of the home <laughs> and they come back to me for counsel, for, mm. you know, for encouragement, for help, but not in the moment of crisis, right? When, when, I, when I think about like the perfect scenario for my adult kids, it's they're living their lives, they're raising their families, they're trying to figure things out. So they use me as a resource, but they're doing a pretty good job on their own. Um, that to me is, that that's when you know you, you did a good job or God really <laughs> blessed your failures, whatever the case. That's right. No, I, that's exactly what I, I kind of camp out on that, that concept. I, I try to take literally the train them up in the way that you go on when they're old, they won't yeah. depart from it. And yeah. I try to hold yeah. on to that because along the journey, if you don't have that hope, it can be frustrating, but I, I really do look forward to the day where, you know, they're raising a family and they're like, now I know yeah. why you did this, dad. Yeah. Now I know why <laughs> right. you were saying all that stuff. Yeah. Right. Right. So, that's, yeah, good. that's good. Um, how about this? If I could give Christian men one piece of advice, it would be. Oh man. Only one. Man, that's a, yeah. That's another long list. Right. But the, the number one would be responsible for what God has placed in your hands, accept responsibility for your own life, for your actions, for your thoughts, however you want to say that, but be responsible, be responsible. Yeah. And so do you think we misinterpret or maybe we're just ignorant of really what the true meaning and magnitude of stewardship is. I mean, do you think if we could get that really to its fullest degree of what that is, that we might be better at what you just said, or are we bad at it anyway? I mean, what, what do you think stewardship wise? Yeah. Stewardship is caring for something that you don't own. And as Mm. Christians, when we talk about stewardship, we think we own our time. We think we own our talents and our resources and our opportunities and our relationships. We feel like we own those things. And so we're able to then excuse either our bad behavior in those areas or our carelessness in those areas or whatever the case, we can excuse it because it's mine. I can spend this money because it's mine. I can waste this time because it's mine. I can, you know, damage this relationship because it's mine. If we understand that, you know, James says every good gift comes from above. Everything we have in our hands has been given to us by God. And, you know, that in your hands is, is, you know, metaphorical. Mm-hmm. The time that I have, it belongs to God. He's stewarded it to me. He's given it to me to, to care for. And, you know, I think the analogy in the Bible is once we're given something to steward, we should increase it, not just to yeah. hang on to it, not just to bury it, but to increase it. So how do yeah. I do with this time what God wants me to? And with the money that God gives to me, the other resources, the relationships, but all of that necessarily requires being responsible. I have to acknowledge this was given to me by God and I have a responsibility to do something with it. And I, I think yeah, th- there's so much, I won't say nuance. I don't love that word, but so many mm. different aspects that fall under this category. But if a man will stand up and say, I'm responsible for me, then he treats his wife right. He raises his kids right. He doesn't look at stuff he's not supposed to. He stays away from relationships he shouldn't be involved in. He's Mm. careful with his money because he's responsible for what God's given to him. So, yeah, I think the two go hand in hand. Absolutely. Absolutely. I I think all of life is is about stewardship. I I was asked this question about, you know, even health and fitness. Like, why do you work out? Why do you do the things Mm -hmm. you do? Mm -hmm. It's not to look good. It's because I've been given a body 
this body is what carries around the mind and the spirit. Mm -hmm. It's what allows me to accomplish what God has set in front of me. So I take care of the physical as a steward of the vehicle that God has given to me. It's all about stewardship. I mean, everything's about stewardship. hundred percent, hundred percent. And, and the, the caveat to that too, is how am I going to serve if I'm incapable physically? How am right. I going to serve That's the people exactly that right. God's given me to serve? Right. And steward over them. Or I so, don't have the money or the time or the other stuff because I've wasted it. Mm-hmm. What is it that God wants me to accomplish, but I can't mm-hmm. because I have not stewarded well those resources. Yeah. That's good, man. Well, thank you for, you know, indulging me on that. And and I think that sort of gets us comfortable, gets us in this virtual kind of living room around a, a table and having a cup of coffee. Mine happens to be iced coffee right now. So I don't know if you're a big <laughs> coffee guy. Water, but it's all right. Oh, Go yeah. coffee. I've had my right water today too. So, um, okay. So tell me how, I mean, I know, give me some background maybe along yeah. the way. So you, you grew up a PK uh, yeah. I'm sure that had its challenges and maybe, maybe yeah. it was great. And then maybe it was not great all the time. I knew yeah. I, the kids I grew up around that were PKs were pastors. Kids were, were a different breed. Um, that was in the eighties <laughs> though. So I don't know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> tell yeah, me about your, tell me about your upbringing a little bit. Yeah. It's interesting. Cause I know a lot of pastors kids too. And, and man, a lot of them don't do very well. I think they get a bad reputation though. I, I joke okay. about pastors kids all the time, but a lot of them really do. Well, and it comes down to parenting. It doesn't come down to whether or not your dad was a pastor or something else, right? It comes down yeah. to, did he authentically, your dad and mom, did they authentically live for God? Did they live out at home what they portrayed publicly? You know, all of those things. And I think where there's a breakdown with pastor's kids is because they're seeing something happen in the pulpit or they're hearing these conversations or uh, being made to live and portray something that is just not the reality at home. And that's um, you know, that's a problem for me growing up. Um, you know, my mom and dad weren't perfect, obviously, but, uh, my dad was as authentic to, you know, in his faith and, and to what he said as, as anyone I've ever known, my mom, uh, lived that out as well. Very hardworking, you know, honored God, loved our family, uh, sacrificed for our family. So, you know, I make the joke a lot that the one thing you learn growing up in a pastor's home is that you don't want to be a pastor. It's the one thing you learn. And I make that joke a lot. But, um, you know, I don't mean by that, that you're, you know, at least for me, I was angry with God or didn't want to have anything to do with ministry or something. But I saw how hard my parents worked Mm -hmm. and understood, you know, from the inside, so many of the trials and I mean, the relationship issues and just so much that comes along with trying to lead hurting and broken people in a church setting that I knew as a teenager, that wasn't God's call on my life, but I, I've always been thankful for for them and thankful for the example that they set. And then eventually ended up pastoring. So, um, you know, God just had to kind of bring me, bring me around. But when I was a teenager, um, I said, dad, I love you and I'm thankful for you. Uh, I'm not running away from God, but I don't feel like God wants me to be in ministry. And he said, Hey, you do whatever God wants you to do. And that's, you know, that's the right answer. Yeah. Until I told him, I think God wanted me to enlist in the Marine Corps. And he's like, ah, I'm not sure God wants that for you, but we can talk about that. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, so growing up was was great. I learned an awful lot. My dad, um, I still, you know, lean on him for advice and and um, direction and, you know, encouragement, I guess. And, and I guess when you, you ask the question, um, you know, about kids and what mm-hmm. I would like to see in the future, what I'm looking forward to. I've had that relationship with my dad. Mm -hmm. And so that's the relationship I hope to have with my kids. But um, yeah, so, you know, whether it's, you know, marriage or having kids or going into the military, going to the Marine Corps, going off to Iraq and coming back and transitioning and struggles and all the stuff that I've gone through, uh, my parents and my wife have been, you know, kind of the one consistent, uh, consistent thing or the consistent relationships in my life. So, yeah, yeah, I've been really blessed. So did so do you feel like God really was saying to join the Marine Corps or did you look at people you respected and think that's what I want to be? Did you have it? Was yeah. it in your lineage aside from your dad being in ministry? Like what? Why did you choose that route? Yeah. So I will say I believed and I still believe that that was God's leading. And I think, you know, we get really wrapped around the axle about how does God lead? And I think God lined things up in my life, even as a young man, that that pointed me in that direction. Um, 
And, and I sincerely felt, I mean, as a Christian young man, I, I sincerely felt like this is what God wants me to do. But the thought was kind of planted. I was 11 or 12 years old. My dad gave me a book. Um, and it was a book that he had had as a kid. He was cleaning out some things at my grandparents' house. And he found this book. He gave it to me. And it was stories of um, soldiers, Marines, uh, sailors, I guess, in World War II that had been awarded the Congressional Medal of Valor, Congressional Medal of Honor. And so, you know, these stories were written for young men in the 60s. And so these, you know, kind of dramatized stories, but easy to understand. I started reading that when I was, you know, 11 or 12 years old, and it really um, motivated me, I guess. And it, it put me in this mind that I could do something like that. You can do something important and something big against all odds, that kind of thing. But I didn't really, we, we had a couple of people, my grandfather was in World War II, um, but he was very young. It wasn't a, a major part of his life experience. It was kind of like he did that and then he came home. I think he was 17 when he went into the army. Mm. Um, so, you know, there wasn't a huge military like push, but my dad was very patriotic, very much about service to country and service to others. And for him, that was a part of being a pastor and, and leading in a community. So it was kind of that early influence, planting the seeds in my mind, in my heart. It was being around a dad who talked often about the responsibility we have as Christians to be good citizens and to mm -hmm. stand against evil, to care for those who can't care for themselves. And then along the way, some people did come into our lives. We made some good friends um, in my late teens and then into college. We had a, a family, family friends. He was active duty Marine and really helped me kind of walk wow. through that as a Christian. What does this mean? And I remember sitting down with him when I was a senior in high school and I was trying to decide what to do. And I asked him kind of what you asked me. Does God call people into the military? You know, what, what is that? Is it right for Christians to be in the military? And he was a very strong Christian in the military. He said, the way I look at it is that if you take the light away, then there's only darkness. And in the military, we need a lot of light. And we need a lot of uh, strong Christians who can lead the way. And then started to talk about people that he had influenced and people he had led to Christ along the way. And so yeah. uh, that was a confirmation for me. And and really, that was my experience. So yeah. that was a really long way of saying, I, I, I sincerely believe that was God's will at the moment and at that time. Um, looking back now, I can see how God brought all of those pieces together to do what I'm doing today. And so I didn't mm -hmm. understand that then, obviously, but certainly that was a part of God's leading. Yeah, yeah, and and did, so forgive me, but did did you serve in the SF community in the Marines or in, uh, no? Okay, I was uh, yeah, I was an infantry officer, so I served with First uh, Battalion, Fifth Marines, Infantry Battalion, out of Camp Pendleton. Uh, okay. We deployed to um, Kuwait and then Iraq at the beginning right. of the war in two thousand three. We were the first infantry battalion into Iraq, so that mm -hmm. was my. I did other deployments, but that was my combat deployment. Um, Went into Iraq, made our way to Baghdad. The Battle of Baghdad on April uh, 10th, 2003 was our battalion as well. Yeah. And then came home, trans transitioned out. And a month later, I was uh, serving on a church staff. So, yeah, pretty pretty crazy experience. Holy moly. Wow. I mean, yeah. Yeah. two different worlds, 100%. Um, yeah. Back to your, you know, asking the question of Christians in the military. And, and I've heard people ask, how do you reconcile, you know, to me, there's a difference in, in killing and murder. Yep. Like, and so is it, do you see anything? And I don't mean to jump ahead cause I want to go in and dive more into the mighty Oaks work, but are you seeing that maybe guys that come out and transition and then become Christians, do they have, is regret a thing for them once, or, or is it, is it hard for them to understand? Hey, it was, it's okay. Like, don't beat yourself up about that because you're a Christian and you had to take a life. Like, is there, is that even a thing? I mean, there's a lot of regret for people that have served in the military and, and, you know, set that aside, served in combat environments where they had to do things that yeah. are, are, are so outside the norm of our society. I remember when we went into Iraq, um, order came, we pushed across the border in the middle of the night, it's pitch black, and there's so many things happening all at the same time. And, and one of the things that hit me was... What's happening right now, this is not supposed to be happening. Mm -hmm. I had trained a lot. We had done all kinds of stuff, done live fire stuff, stuff at night. So 
the, the movement, the mechanics were exactly what we had been training to do. And, and that all made sense. What was different was there were real people out there that we were shooting at and real tracer rounds coming back our direction. And so, you know, you're taught your entire life not to hurt people, certainly not to take life and all of that. And now you're in that, in that place. So you have to reconcile that. And I mean, this is probably bigger than this conversation, but to reconcile the difference between, and you mentioned this, and this is very basic, right? But the difference between murder and, and the taking of a life or killing, we could walk through scripture, sure. you know, thou shalt not kill really. If you, if you look at that and you translate it as it was intended in the Hebrew, it's, it's murder. It's the unjust taking of a life. Mm -hmm. uh, we mm -hmm. could also look at the law in the old Testament and see that there are times when God commands that life would be taken. That's right. Um, in the new Testament, there is, um, an admonition of respect to be given for those who stand in the gap and who even execute judgment on those yeah. that need to have that, uh, you know, executed against them. And so there's a definite difference. Now yeah. where the lines get really murky is when you can't reconcile in your mind was what I was doing. <laughs> was sure. that taking a life in a combat environment because, you know, they were shooting at us and we were shooting at them. Was the that nature of the environment killing? by, yeah, just the nature of the environment alone. Yeah. Was it justified or not? And I'll tell you, one of the things people struggle with often is coming out of a, a conflict like, you know, that in Iraq and some other places and looking back and going on the front end, I thought this was kind of a justified situation and maybe I don't feel that way now. And so reconciling all that can be certainly very, very challenging. Yeah. And that's, that's one of the things we have to work through and have to walk through with people. Yeah. I wondered, yeah, I wondered about that. And if, if, yeah. if the, if the faith transformation kind of was that crossover point in their mind of, oh, wow, now that I think about and I have perspective about what I was doing, do I struggle with that? And I didn't, I didn't know if that was a common thing. Yeah. Of course, people struggle with it regardless of their faith. Um, but, but right. I wondered if that was even magnified. Well, because you know, and sometimes, sometimes coming into, a, you know, into faith is, it's a, it's a surrender to God, right? Mm -hmm. And a surrender to God and his law. And so I think for some people, it's even, you know, stepping into faith and understanding what I did there wasn't right. Mm -hmm. um, I did take life I shouldn't have taken, or I did get involved in things I shouldn't have gotten involved in. Um, you know, there's a difference between post-traumatic stress, combat trauma, and moral injury. And moral injury is something we're talking about more often now. Mm -hmm. But so that sometimes has to be reconciled. And that's where the conversation about forgiveness and, you know, all those conversations come into play as well. So, mm -hmm. yeah, certainly everything can be set right um, as we come into that relationship with God through Christ. But there are some things that have to be addressed and dealt with yeah. and reconciled. Yeah, no, that's 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 informative. And, and it, it does set a little bit of a perspective for people on killing and murder because it, it completely sure. the contexts are different. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. So you came into so you came into full time ministry out of active duty. Um, did you ever consider, I wonder, uh, chaplaincy or anything like that to stay in in that role? Yeah, it's funny. It's, I've been asked that a whole bunch of times, and it's funny that the answer is no. I never, I never one time considered that. Um, I so going back to when I really felt like the Marine Corps was where I was supposed to be, right through really my adolescent years into my Mm -hmm. uh, teenage years and then in college and all that I, I never doubted that I was supposed to be an infantry marine that's what I was supposed to be go into the infantry be a marine and likewise when it was time to get out it was very clear to me that it's time to to get out and to move on mm. um so I've I've struggled over the years with maybe I should have stayed in and and, and you know those things that I think anyone would struggle with particularly as the wars progressed yeah but the the thought of being a chaplain was not that that was not one that I had. I, I don't know what the reason for that is, but um, yeah, I mean, I yeah. guess the reason I think about it is I've, I've had on the show um, the brother of our executive pastor here in our home church has was a Navy chaplain for like thirty yeah. years, maybe more than that. Yeah, wow, and, wow. And so I had talked to him, and and then I kind of met some other people indirectly through. And and I wonder, is there a shortage of that role, and could that be? a bridge for transitioning out because I know there's a, there's a huge hurdle um, when, when service members come out and there's all kinds of, you know, the, the PTS uh, and the, the mental 
struggles. So I wonder, is there a way? And I'll ask you that. Is there something the military could do better to help that transition from a mental standpoint, a psychological standpoint? Yeah, I think the military has done a much better job than they were when I transitioned out in 2003. Um, you know, in 2003, kind of the transition plan was get through the three classes you have to take as fast as possible and, yeah. and move on, right? And there wasn't a lot of support. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot's been done since then. A lot of, you know, whether it's research and just understanding um, the data has built to a point where decisions have had to be made. So a lot better care is happening now. I think as a Christian, the one thing I would say that has not happened the way that it should have, in my opinion, and would help this whole situation uh, with, you know, we talk about 22 suicides a day mm-hmm. when really we know and recent research even has backed this up that it's probably closer to more than 30 suicides a day of, of uh, veterans, um, almost five a day, active duty service members, we can go down the line. This is is a horrible situation. So what can fix that? Well, as a Christian, what we understand is that the only way to really heal a spiritual wound is with a spiritual solution. Mm -hmm. It's when we align our lives to the lives that we were created to live. God created us with purpose and design. When we understand that, we align to that. Then the trauma, you know, all the stuff that has us bound it still exists. It's still part of our story, but it doesn't bind us anymore. We can move forward with hope and purpose and, and, and into something valuable. So what could the military do? The military has, and not surprisingly, it's taken an extremely secular, very clinical view of post-traumatic mm-hmm. stress and trauma and these issues. And so treated it that way, treated it through therapy, treated it largely through medication. And so not dealing with the actual problems, mm-hmm. just dealing with the the fruit of the problem and trying to keep mm-hmm. people from hurting themselves or hurting other people, but Band-Aid. not dealing with the actual spiritual problem. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you speak of chaplains, I have so much respect for chaplains and also uh, feel a burden for them because they're so bound as to what they are actually able to prescribe and what they're actually able to do mm-hmm. that, um, Something has to change if we're going to get that truth to them. That's why Mighty Oaks exists. And that's why, you know, we made decisions like paying for programs and paying for travel and and mm-hmm. removing barriers to come to a program like ours, because we understand that the spiritual solution is the only real solution. Yeah. It's got to be inside out for sure. Um, yeah. 100%. And, I mean, it's like, you know, when you go clip, a, how many of us go clip a weed out in the garden with scissors? right at the ground surface, right? We, we've got to root that sucker and uh, get it up as deep as it goes. Um, Did you have any, I mean, it's, it's hard to ask this question because I know, I mean, you, you sound like, and I know there's, you're not perfect and I'm not trying to paint this angelic picture of you um, unless you are an angel. Um, And you know, don't we wish from, from, you know, from cradle to present sounds like you've walked a pretty straight, path and you've always been a Christian since you can remember. Um, have, did you ever sort of have a defining breakthrough moment spiritually, uh, whether it was in the military, whether it was when you came out, I don't know. Um, I kind of yeah. want to give the guys a picture of what that might've looked like for you and maybe so that they can be maybe aware, maybe if they're searching for that breakthrough spiritually, maybe they understand, okay, that's maybe I did have one, you know, maybe I, am as solid as I kind of want to be, you know, and that's a dumb yeah. question, I guess, but talk about maybe a breakthrough you had spiritually. Yeah. Well, gentlemen, I want to take a step back from this conversation real quick to just let you know of a free resource I have available coming in the next couple of weeks. Uh, all you have to do is email me last in line leadership at gmail.com and give me your address, email address, Uh, And I will send you this resource. It is all about strategic spiritual warfare, learning who our enemy is, what he's about, what his tactics are, and what we have available to fight against him. Uh, I want to thank our partners, Uncommon, where they are equipping men to be the husbands, fathers, and leaders we were called to be. Thank you for your support. Thank you for partnering with Last in Line. And let's get back to the conversation we're having with our great guest here at Last in Line. I mean, I can approach that from a couple perspectives. I mean, number one, I think, you know, this the spiritual breakthrough is that new birth that's talked about in the yeah. New Testament. And yeah. it's understanding that 
you know, you need a savior that Christ died on our behalf, uh, that he is God. So when he was buried, he rose again and he defeated sin and defeated death. And when we come into that understanding and we turn from ourselves, I can do it. I'll be good enough. I'll try hard enough. We turn from ourselves and turn to God and put our faith in, in, in Christ for the forgiveness of our sin. Mm -hmm. That is a spiritual moment, right? And that's the sure. starting point that the Bible talks about. Beyond that, though, I, I do think that all of us have have moments, times where just in the process of spiritual maturity, there are kind of inflection points. There are those times along the way where it's, you know, people have said it, you're either moving forward or you're moving backwards, right? Mm -hmm. In the Christian life or the spiritual life, there's no stasis. You're not staying still. Mm -hmm. You're moving forward or you're moving backward. Mm -hmm. But if you're moving forward, often it's great. You know, the kids are great. The the spouse is great. Church is great. Work is great. And there are times when it's all not great. And you have these moments. I'll tell you why responsibility is so important to me, personal responsibility. I, you know, we mentioned this toward the beginning. Mm -hmm. I was raised in a Christian home. I went to a Christian college. Um, I, I, I don't have a Bible degree, but I went to a Christian college, a very conservative Christian college. Uh, met my wife there. We got married. We you know, I went into the Marine Corps, went to a good church, local church here in Southern California, um, had good people. My my family was great. All of those things were fantastic. I was doing when I was in the Marine Corps, what I believed God wanted me to do. I was doing what I had pointed my life towards. So graduating college, commissioned as an officer in the Marine Corps, married. We had our first child. I'm serving. I mean, this is this is everything I had ever wanted. The only piece that was missing was serving in combat, because if you're an infantry Marine, I would imagine infantry soldier would be the same. You want to take all that you've learned and try it, put it to the test in combat. And then that happened. I came home from Iraq uh, June of 2003. As I mentioned, July 1st of 2003, I started working at the church where we had been attending. And it didn't take long before the bottom dropped out. I had only ever wanted one thing, and that one thing was gone. I went from leading Marines in combat 30 days prior to now being the volunteer coordinator at our church and doing things that I felt at the time were very, very unimportant. I came back from Iraq. I got out of the Marine Corps. Seven months later, the Marines that I served with went back to Iraq, and they were in the first battle of Fallujah. And I remember hearing about all of that and, and talk about the turmoil of wanting to go back and be with them and understanding what was happening. Some of the Marines that I had in my platoon were killed in Fallujah. I heard about that. I understood that. I'm trying to share that with the people I'm working with on a church staff. And it wasn't that they didn't care. They just had no connection to it. So it was kind of like, oh, man, that's that's terrible. So how are we doing on the preparation for whatever the next event was? Right. Like we're just moving on. And so you know, through that process, I became really frustrated, which turned into being really angry. I was angry at home. I was angry at work to the point that my pastor called me into his office about 11 months after I had been working there and said, look, I love you. I love your family, but this is not working. <laughs> we can't do this anymore. Yeah. You're disruptive everywhere you go. You're angry everywhere you go. You've got to figure something out. Yeah. And, and really, that was the first time I was confronted with my behavior I had just kind of been dismissing everything as someone else's fault. This is my wife's fault. These are the people I work with. It's their fault. It's other people. They don't know who I am or what I've done or where I've been. It, it, it's all their fault. And he confronted me with the truth of like, hey, man, this is your fault and you need to figure this out. Now, mm -hmm. 2003, we're not talking about post-traumatic stress. A lot of those conversations aren't happening. He was doing the best he could. <laughs> um, yeah. But what he knew was something's got to change. Yeah. I was confronted with that and through a long process and I won't you know, get into all of that. I was able to finally say I'm responsible and I need to be responsible. And once I accepted responsibility for my bad behavior, accepted responsibility for the direction I was going and the things I was doing, things didn't change immediately, but that was a huge inflection point for me, a yeah. point where I had to, okay, I'd been a Christian, you know, I had all these things happen the bottom falls out. Well, now I have to decide, am I going to keep sliding back or am I going to take a step forward? In order to take a step forward, huge inflection point, I've got to be responsible and yeah. take responsibility and move forward. Now, yeah. again, long process. My wife would say it was a 10-year process after that before I finally 
kind of got back on my feet and we were moving forward together <laughs> instead of just kind of like next to each other. Yeah. But yeah, that was, that was huge. And when I have problems now, it's going back to that moment of stop blaming other people, stop feeling bad for what someone else is doing or what's been done to you or what's happening in culture, whatever, and yeah. accept responsibility for my behavior and my actions. Yeah. So you well, know, that uh, can was I, let me, can I ask one. a question? Let me ask a question yeah, here please, um, please. for guys listening. Um, and this could really probably translate into a lot of different areas of life, but in that situation, did you yeah. feel like, and not to turn this into a therapy session, but I think it might be uh, cathartic for somebody to hear uh, maybe f- did you have some fear of missing out? Like all your guys were back and you weren't, did you have any, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of that? like there was some yeah, of that, right? 100%. I mean, that was, so, I mean, when I was 14 years old, I told my dad, I talked to my dad, uh, you know, I had that conversation where I'm like, I believe God wants me to enlist in the mm-hmm. Marine Corps. And his response was do what God wants you to do, but you're going to go to college first. Right. That's why I went to college because my dad's like, you need to go to college. Mm-hmm. So I did, I was commissioned. So from 14 until, you know, the time I was commissioned, I'd gone to officer candidate school while I was in college. All of this happened. My entire life was that. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was all about the Marines, all about serving Marines, all mm-hmm. about leading Marines. Then I took these guys to combat. And it, it was an amazing experience. Not, not the, you know, kind of the horrors of war stuff, but just being with the people you trained with and executing what you had worked so hard to understand yeah. and, and, just the heroism of these guys and being around that and yeah. being so focused on a singular mission. And then, I mean, like that, I was away from that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, a huge part of it for me was, was like, I'm missing out. I love that. I love them. I'm not there anymore. Now I solidly believed that God wanted me to transition out. And I could talk about that whole process, sure. but yeah, but man, I was, I mean, there were times I was broken about that. Yeah, uh, hearing them go back into combat and me not being there with them. I mean, that was that was terrible. And then I'm looking yeah. at the stuff in my life, going, "This is this is stupid." Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Real stuff's happening over there, and this is stupid. So it yeah, seemed, absolutely. Kind of seems, yeah, it seems menial, um, pointless a little bit when you pers- when you have perspective of there are people yeah. over there, you know, with bullets flying past their face. Sure. Um, no, I mean, I just wondered because I know guys hearing this, you know, are probably dealing with some version of that emotion of, man, I'm looking over here and this guy's doing this, or I had an opportunity and I may have missed that, you know, and, and now I, now I'm kind of stuck here. And I I just know that there's guys that are, I mean, we're in a big comparison culture right now. And, and I, I don't know, not that you're doing, you were doing some of that, but I mean, what can guys do to snap snap out of that? I wonder. And what what yeah. you know maybe it, maybe just all boils down to something as simple as gratitude, you know, and just kind of being thankful for what you've got. But did you have something that was kind of a light? I know you said it was a ten year process, or your wife would say that. But yeah. did you have kind of a light go on inside you that's like, dude? All right, you said responsibility, but maybe maybe it's like you you kind of have it pretty good, you know, one of those type of things. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, you know, gratitude is a big part of that. It's being thankful for what you have and what God's given to you. I think if you're a man that, I'll just use the phrase, you want to be in the fight, right? Or you want to be on the front edge. You want to be the tip of the spear. However you want to say that. And not 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 in a combat sense, but you want to be out there, out front doing, yep. doing stuff. You want to be in the mix, right? And I hope most men are that way. Then it's possible to be thankful. And this is what I struggle with, right? It's yeah. possible to be thankful to, to, to say, uh, you know, I have gratitude for my family and the health of my kids and what God has blessed me with, but also to feel that sense of, am I missing out on something or should sure. I be doing something else or should I be somewhere else? So I think you can do both. I'll tell you what has helped me. And, and this has been the long process, right? Some of it is just, you just have to have enough grit in your soul to, like do the work in front of you. Like, yeah. okay, I'm not there anymore. I feel bad about that, but this is where I am. Yeah. And I'm just going to, you know, I've got enough grit character, right. To do what I'm supposed to do and just keep moving forward. So that's a big part of it. But I think the peace comes, the anxiety goes away. The joy can be experienced when we are able to settle that. I'm not God. God has a plan for my life. 
And if I'm walking out his plan for my life, then I'm exactly where he wants me to do, uh, wants me to be and doing what he wants me to do. And the joy comes from knowing I'm where God wants me to be. He has a plan. He has a purpose. I'm fulfilling that plan. I'm living out my purpose. And so I can experience joy and peace and the anxiety goes away. Now, you know, my son just got married and left our house right here in the last couple of weeks. So I could be really glad he's doing what he's supposed to be doing, but there's a sense of sadness, loss, right? Separation. Mm -hmm. And I can feel that way about other things in my life too. Sense of sadness or loss or separation. Sometimes I'd love to hang out with Marines and go do Marine stuff, but I'm settled in that. I know I'm where God wants me to be. Sure. And if I can say one more thing to that, the, the natural pushback is, well, how can I know I'm where God wants me to be, right? That's that's the natural pushback. How can I experience that? So that's the million-dollar question right there. That's the million-dollar question. And, and I'll say it starts with, because we start with, if I'm fulfilling my God-given purpose and I have the right job, I'm married to the right person, I'm doing the right thing. We need to start with the big purpose, which is living to glorify God. Yeah. Do I wake up every day and ask the question, how can I glorify God? How can I worship God? Well, I can work hard. I can be kind to my wife. I can invest in important relationships. I can spend time in the word. Okay, focus on that. And if we're doing what we can do, then I I firmly believe God is not hiding the other stuff from us. You do what you know you're supposed to do and trust God then. Trust him. That when he says in James 1, 5, that if you ask for wisdom, he's going to give it to you. Well, trust that that's going to happen. Trust that he'll keep his word. Trust that he'll guide you and direct you. And that if you're living to worship him, you're exactly where you need to be. Yeah, 100%. I mean, that that's gold right there for somebody because, I mean, this is not an uncommon emotion, you know, to right, think that we right. life's passing us by or we missed yeah. out or we missed, you know, yeah. it's too late or whatever that is. But I, I would add to what you said, look, sometimes it just needs to be about getting in the mirror and going, hey, it's not about you. Like sometimes exactly. it needs to, exactly right. <laughs> it, yeah. it's simple yeah. as you're making it about you instead yes. of about this call. And again, the great commission, and, and you could put anything around that, that you want of how we do that and reach lost people yeah. and grow his kingdom and glorify him. That doesn't sound anything about us. That sounds like to me, right. it's about other people. <laughs> right. So, so yeah, yeah that's I right. Think that if we can take the, the, the blinders off a little bit and, and not make it so much about us. All right. So I want to transition a little bit before I go into the, raising young warriors um, because we both have sons and I think this is a crucial time in our history um, Mm. for, for the next generation. But let's segue into that by saying, when did this spiritual degradation, when did this decay societal decay, when and why and how did this all happen? Like I, I, we can look no further than the latest post of something regarding the social misfits that are out there. I don't know any other way to say it. So how do we, yeah. Yeah, When did all this happen and why, and how do we reel this thing back in? Yeah. It's it's crazy. I ask this question all the time. And I mean, on my podcast, I ask this question of guests a lot, right? Like when did this happen and how did we get here? Right. That's the Mm -hmm. question. Well, I I mean, I think, you know, again, it sounds trite maybe, but if you read the Bible at all and go back to the old Testament and just start the first book, you're going to find a lot of the same brokenness and degradation and, and people selling each other out and uh, murder. And it's, it's, it's always been a part of the broken human condition. I think one of the things that has changed as Americans, and we yeah. have a real weird view, right? Of the world. We view sure. the world from our Tunnel vision. Yeah. Like the rest of the world doesn't function the way the United States does. And there's still brokenness and hurt and all this stuff's always been going on. And I don't think things are much different. In the United States, we've had this common understanding, though, because of our our faith foundation. When the founders got together, they understood the importance of faith, and they put mm-hmm. some things, even in law, to, to give us that foundation. So since then, we've had—we may not always agree on everything, but there's been a common understanding. As Americans, right, yeah. we're going to be patriotic, and we're going to—whether we go to church or not, we're going to talk about God. <laughs> there are all these things that are common— there are some things like hurting children and yeah. teaching children, you know, about sexuality and stuff. 
that that's always been off the table. We've never had a discussion about right. that because there's always been a common understanding. Yeah, that has changed. Mm-hmm. And uh, honestly, I think it's. Uh, I mean, I, I put that at the feet of Christian people. I think Christian people mm-hmm. have stopped taking a stand for those things that are right, assuming mm-hmm. they would always be in place. The devil who's trying to tear down anything that reflects a holy God uh, has gotten a foothold, and and we're seeing we're seeing the fruit of a lot of that. So I, I don't think it's new. Um, social media, technology, those things have certainly amplified what's happening. What is new, at least in my experience, is, I mean, a simple example, right, is the drag queen stuff. Like, sure. that's always been around, but it's always been like this fringe thing. It certainly yep. has not been something you take little kids to or that yep. happens at an amusement park. Yep. That's new. So just the wholesale acceptance of sin is, is um, you know, pretty new. But I think that's been the goal of, you know, Satan and those <laughs> dark spiritual forces since the beginning. And we need to push that back. And the only way to do that is by standing up for right. Yeah, I, and I agree. And I, mean, I just keep thinking about the 50s and, of course, in yeah. the 60s when, yeah. you know, Woodstock and all that. I mean, but they, like you said, they kind of kept to themselves. Yeah. When I say yeah. they, I mean, the the paganistic, ritualistic, culture that was um kind of kept to themselves and so i I don't know i just feel like we're like you said we're being force-fed and we're actually kind of allowing it to happen we're Um, allowing it yeah i think yeah yeah so that's that's a that's a great place to kind of go to is i'd love to be able to tell my kids hey here's a template on how we resist it here's how we stand up and we're not the silent majority anymore now we're the majority that is got a voice that's not afraid to use it and say it like they say, say it with your chest, dad. (laughs) So so how do I teach them to say it with their chest and not be so, what is, what is the word I'm trying to course in their speech or so like non-Jesus in their talk, I guess. Yeah. Well, I think one thing is, and we've given ground on this is as parents, we need to understand what our job actually is. My job as a parent is, is not to raise kids who will want me to be their friend someday. Sure. Uh, My job as parents is not to simply control my kids so they don't get in trouble or even protect them. My job is to raise adults. You mentioned Mm -hmm. this in the beginning is to train up a child in the way he should go. Mm -hmm. So, that's got to be the starting point. As a parent, I need to understand clearly that my responsibility, my job is to take these kids from where they are right now and raise them up so that when they leave my home, they can go out into whatever the world's going to present to them then and make good decisions and have the foundation they need. So I think that's one thing as a parent, yeah. I need to know that. And then it, you know, that parenting then needs to be thoroughly spiritual. We need to ground our kids in what the Bible says Teach them how to study the Bible. Teach them how to take a question or a concern or an issue in society and go to the Bible and root that out, investigate that and figure that out on their own. Don't just tell them what they need to think, but teach them how to go to the Bible and understand that. Put them in the right environments around other people. One thing I've, I've tried to be very deliberate about with my sons is putting them around other strong Christian men. Yeah. So it's not just me that is the influence in their life, but there are other, you know, strong Christian men, guys who are police officers and firefighters and they're in the military and they're, you know, construction workers and they're just guys who are men doing hard things and they're out there, but they're Christians and they have a good testimony and they've they've learned how to navigate that. Putting my kids around people like that um, and just continuing to, to, to equip them with the thought in mind that society is getting worse. I'm not always going to be here, so I need to give them the tools they need to make the right decisions and, and lead their own homes. Um, yeah. You know, that has some practical things attached to it, but just thinking that way will cause us to interact with our kids different and then being very intentional and very deliberate about it. I, I agree, and I like that. Um, I, I really like the part about getting them around other – because, I mean, coaching baseball, I think your kids yeah. played competitive travel baseball. I mean, I could tell yeah. my kid – the same thing, how to hit a curveball 20 times and then someone else says it and they get it. So uh, I yeah, think there's yeah. something to be said for for that for sure. And I think it, we got to be willing to be unpopular as parents too. 100%, um, yeah. And, and stand up when these social topics come up in the home. And I mean, my kids to this day, 
chastise me about protesting and not going to Starbucks. I, I just oh, will right, not go right. to Starbucks. And I've told them why. And and this whole generation, I guess, is still I my question to you, and you can give me some parenting advice here. How about this? What do we <laughs> how do we how do we teach them to sort of I, I mean, I can't tell my kid, hey, don't ever go to Starbucks. You'll never ever spend a dollar there. But how can I get it stirred up in them to where they want that for themselves to be like, no, I'm not doing it because their justification is dad, we're not putting Starbucks out of business if we stop buying there. And I, and I'm like, that's not the point. So do you have anything to add to that diatribe? I just went on. Yeah, it's funny. I was, I was just talking to my sister um, this last weekend we were together. We were talking about our parents and the way we were raised. And, and one of the things that came up in that conversation was that my dad is, you know, he's very strong, very opinionated. He's very grounded in the word. Um, but growing up, if I asked him a question about, you know, whatever, hey, dad, what do you think about this? What he would do is he would say, this is what I believe. And this is why I believe it. So he, he's very good at, you know, saying, I don't know what the issue is, but I, I remember when gay marriage was a thing, right? And unfortunately it's not a thing anymore because we've moved way past right. that. But I remember when right. that was kind of the big conversation and all that was happening. And and I'm like, dad, why, why is this such a big issue? Why do you care about it? He broke it down. Like, here's what the Bible says. Here's the impact on society. He, you know, he went through all that. So he knew what he believed and he was able to clearly articulate that to me. And then he would always wrap that up with, but you need to be responsible to God for mm -hmm. what he wants you to do. And so I think there's a sense in which at some point, our kids, you know, when they're little, we can make them do things. But as they get bigger, we just have to help them be able to think through these issues and understand that maybe I'm not going to put Starbucks out of business. For us, the example is, is Disneyland. Um, yep. I think it was last year. We live in Southern California. That's where we go. We spend time. We're just subscribed to Disney Plus, right? We like sure. the Disney movies and all that stuff. Well, all the transgender stuff came up and they're supportive of it. And, and I mean, it broke my heart. Like it really yeah. did. But I had to sit my kids down and go, look, all right, your mom and I, we made a decision. We're not going back to Disneyland. Now, we love Disneyland. We're not going to put Disneyland out of business by not going there. But we can't support that with our dollars and with our time and whatever. We canceled our Disney Plus subscription, you know, so, and we didn't burn the, the VHS videos we have or anything like that. But sure, sure. Like, we're not going to support that anymore. Right. And and we tried to walk through that with them and help them to understand why. And I think they got it at some point. They're going to have to decide if if that's important to them, too. But um yeah. Yeah, I mean, the short answer is I, I feel like as a parent, I have got to do a good job of not just saying, this is what you need to do, sure. but instead saying, this is why I'm doing this yeah. and why I would encourage you to do the same, but yeah. you need to make a decision for yourself. I think that's the hard um, part to swallow is our our influence has gotten I know, I limited, know. I guess, yeah. as they get older. And so we can present the facts we can present, like you just said, your yep. dad had it, your dad hit it out of the park there. And so uh, really and truly it's, they're, they're grown up and they can make decisions. But I yep. mean, if we stand for what we stand for, then eventually they will see that, okay, dad's got principles, dad's got standards, he's not wavering. So maybe we need to consider this again. And maybe it's more than just about our social agenda, you know, with our sphere, it's maybe it's more of a deep, deeper rooted principle and conviction that we need to stand on. So I'll tell um, you, man, we need to, and we need to play the long game. Right. So, yeah. I mean, Starbucks is a thing, right. But Starbucks is going to come and go, but there's going to be another thing out there when your yeah. kids are old enough to make these decisions on their own. Right. That, that's how it's been for me. There's some stuff my dad was so against and I wasn't against and I didn't get it, but I've run up against stuff that I could go back to the stuff he was against. And I may not have been against that, but I could go through the same process of evaluating just like he did for that, evaluating yeah. the new thing, whatever the new yeah. thing is, you know? So yeah. yeah, it's playing the long game and just being so clear on why we believe this and how we arrived at this conclusion. Yeah. And there's also a fine line of, you know, <laughs> how do we shine light in those dark places if we're just turning our back and going a different direction right. from those people, yeah, you sure. know? So that's a, sure. that's a, that's a whole different conversation. Okay. So yeah. let's, Let's maybe land the plane a little bit on the conversation and and yeah. talk about Mighty Oaks and and you and Chad co-founded together, correct? Sure. And sure. um what's the need for you guys? What's the biggest need? 
I don't know if it's resources. I don't know if it's, uh, I mean, that would kind of parlay in with facilities. I don't know what, what is yeah. the need when you get guys and, and how do you, are you just all welcoming all comers, anybody that comes to Mighty Oaks? Talk about how they kind of get involved with the program and kind of the things that you see as being areas of need right now. We serve um, specific communities. We serve veterans. Yep. That's anyone who's served. Active yep. duty service members, those who are currently serving. First responders, and that's a pretty broad category. Um, you know, It means police officers. It means firefighters. But it means a lot of other folks, too, in that first responder community. Mm-hmm. And then spouses. So we want to mm-hmm. make sure that we're supporting those who have supported the you know their spouse through all these yeah. issues. So veterans, active duty service members, first responders, and spouses – we invite them to one of our facilities across the country. We have um, five different places that we use across the country right now. We do a week-long program where we talk about trauma, but specifically talk about how a life aligned to the life we were created by God to live releases us from the chains of that trauma. We talk about that, break that mm-hmm. down over five days. We pay for the program and we pay the cost of travel and anything else that's required to get you to the program. So if you are in any of those categories and you went to our website, mightyoaksprograms.org, you can mm-hmm. apply. Our application folks will get to you. We'll set up a time for you to be there. The only investment you have to make is uh, is five days. So that's kind of what we do, like real broad, right? Right. Um, when, when we talk about need, I mean, there are two needs. We pay for travel. We pay for the program. But those things aren't free. <laughs> They're just free to the person who's going to the program. So uh, financial support is is you know not only welcome but needed. Folks can support on our website mm-hmm. as well. Um, we communicate the gospel. We approach all this from a faith position and not a clinical position. So you know often people of faith want to invest in a solution, but want to invest in a solution that really connects to uh, to God and, and creation. And so we're an opportunity to do that. I would say, you know, very broadly, one of the the big needs that people have when they attend our program is a place to go back to. Um, We talk about this often. We tell people they need to be in a church. They need to be in prayer. Drink some water. They need to, um, you know, be in the word. And they need to have the right people around them. But that, that church, that community, those people that can encourage them and help them, they need to have that to go back to. And so um, that's a, that's a huge need. And we do our best on the front end, but then we do our best also to connect folks to, you know, yeah. those that can continue the process when they get home. Yeah, that's good. And that's right where I was going. Cause I wonder, I mean, discipleship is a, is a huge thing. And and we in the church, I don't know, do a great job or as good a job as we could just in general, but I can imagine the service members that leave your program most definitely need that accountability, that person yes, that can walk and right. do life. And I wonder, are previous program uh, alumni assigned to different people, maybe even virtually, if it's not geographically yeah. conducive? So I wonder, is that a is that a thing? Yeah, we have what we call mentors. They're in every program, and they they stay connected to graduates for several months, six cool. months or more. They serve as a resource to get that person plugged into counseling or to a local church, you know, whatever the case. So we stay very connected to them. Uh, A lot of our graduates will start what we call outposts. They're kind of small groups in churches cool, that they can help to encourage other, you know, veterans or service members or spouses. Uh, So, so all of that happens. Honestly, the big goal for us though, when someone leaves our program is to get them plugged into a local church. I mean, Mm -hmm. that's God's plan Mm -hmm. for discipleship and spiritual growth. And we understand that. And so we do our best to, to kind of tear down that wall that says, if you haven't served, you can't help me. We do our best to tear that down during the week they're with us. Mm-hmm. So that when they go to a church, uh, even if the people there haven't served uh, or they don't have a military ministry, that's not the most important thing. The most important thing is you have folks there who can uh, kind of do life with them, take the word, disciple them and train them up. And so mm-hmm. uh, that's a yeah. huge need. We're, we're, we start the process, but the long-term, you know, lifelong process happens in a community of believers. Yeah. Yeah. Well, good. Uh, so what's the plan going forward? I mean, more locations. Um, I don't know. Is, is that, is that what we're trying to accomplish is just the more locations, the better? Well, yeah. Um, I mean, 
to some extent, right? We want to be careful. Um, not all locations are created equal. Uh, people are always offering us a home they have somewhere or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, for context, we we will have about 800 students go through one of those week-long programs this year. Um, next year, it will be over 1,000. So this year, 35 weeks of sessions. Next year, we'll have 40 weeks of sessions. In the right. next three years, we're working to 50 weeks of sessions. So wow. it needs to be the right facility. Um, we're near where you are in Montgomery, Texas there. We're building okay. out uh, our headquarters. We're also building out a facility that we'll use. So we'll continue to add. Uh, the need is not going away, but we want to be very deliberate about how we do that. Yeah, for sure. Maintain a little quality yeah. control at the same time, yeah. I would think. Well, man, it's been uh, uh, awesome to to actually, you know, finally meet you and get to know you. Yeah, and, and you too. You know, yeah. I read, of course, read about you in Chad's uh, first book and and or his his unfair advantage book, and so it's it's nice to put a face with a name and yeah, and that's cool, uh, dude. I love I love your podcast. We'll get that in the show notes too, and and Appreciate just keep it, yeah. keep crushing, man. You're you're awesome. Uh, you're you're somebody to to admire and and to you know, follow that example of, of faith that you're doing. And, and you've proven you can be that alpha. You can be that tip of the spear and be Christ-like and honor your faith along the way. So I appreciate that, man. Yeah. Um, any parting words for the, for the guys? No, man, I, I appreciate you. Thank you for, for doing it. These conversations are so important and I appreciate people like you, you who are having them. Um, Men need to stand up and be responsible, but we shouldn't do it alone. We can't do it alone. And this is a good opportunity. You know, your podcast and these conversations and your resources, such a great opportunity to bring us together, to have a common understanding of what it means to be a man and to push forward. So I really appreciate what you're doing. Thanks for thanks for doing it. Keep it up. No, man. Thank you. Uh, it's been enjoyable. Maybe we can do it again. Audience, yeah. he's been Jeremy Stalnicker. We've been last in line. Be blessed.